The Hawaii Sports Radio Network on 95.1 FM and AM 760 presents Wake Up in the Den with Kubule Agbayani. Good morning, beautiful people. It's Wake Up in the Den. I'm Kuule Agbayani alongside Paul Brecht. Happy Aloha Friday! We have made it through the week. But as our typical team here does at Hawaii Sports Radio Network, what is that Friday? <laughs> Hashtag team knows days off straight through the weekend because never, because tomorrow we will bring you HPU baseball. And then on Sunday, we got a doubleheader action for HPU softball and Chaminade. Speaking of HPU and Chaminade, Fun night last night in the Shark Tank. HPU got the redemption that they needed, both the men and the women beating Chaminade uh, on their senior day slash night. Paul Brecht, Kyle Galdera, and Michael Lescaro were in the house to bring you that action. And we will talk extensively about those matchups coming up in the show. We'll also hear uh, just some post-game comments from head coach of the men's team, Jesse Nakanishi, as they are, well, we already said they are in the playoffs, but kind of have an idea of where they'll be seated, potentially missing out of that second seed that we were calculating and hoping uh, was going to happen. But we'll get more of Paul's official thoughts on that coming up a little later on the show. Also a fun night where I was at the Simplify Arena at San Sheriff Center for Rainbow Wahine basketball. The Rainbow Wahine winning in overtime. Yep, that's right. In case you guys missed it. Overtime started off a little uh, slow. You know, I believe UC Davis went up about 10-0, I think, to open up the game and just Hawaii missing shots and whatnot. But the ladies do what they always do. And they just fight back, claw their way back without the services of Imani Perez. Brooklyn Ruers made her return to the lineup. However, as expected, very, very limited. She did get the start, but played only about six minutes of action as she starts to get, you know, re- acclimated to playing uh, fully, but nonetheless, we will talk about that later. Also, here are some uh, comments from head coach Laura Beeman, but just a fun night overall. Unfortunately, with the UH men's basketball team, they fell in their first game on the road against UC Davis, so hopefully uh, they can collect themselves and get a win tomorrow. But I kind of talked about this on the show uh, to open up yesterday. However, now that everything is officially out, the in case you guys did not see that yet, I hope you did. The University of Hawaii football uh, schedule was officially released yesterday. So we have all of the dates, everything underway. And of course, Paul Brecht's doing what he does best and gave you guys an extensive preview of looking at the opponents and just where the scheduling fits in for the University of Hawaii football team you know, week opening up the season in week zero on August 24th against FCS opponent Delaware State and then the following week they play UCLA and then right after that they already get their first week off their first of three weeks off during the season which is really really weird uh, to say and this is actually the first time the University of Hawaii has only quote-unquote, only had 12 games, I believe, since the 2017 season. So we've been used to, to because they play in that week zero, uh, having that full slate of 13 games, but now only stuck at 12. But it's okay. 
<laughs> it's something that we will have to deal with it. So uh, not obviously not counting the COVID season, but yes, first 12 game schedule since 2017 and five of the opponents played in bowl games in 2023. And this UCLA UH matchup will be the first in Honolulu since 1939. That was quite some time ago. I, couple, I can't believe it's been that years. I mean, I guess because we're used to, to Hawaii playing USC a couple of times. and um, But wow, I guess UCLA not playing for that while. And UH and Boise will play in front of the Hawaii crowd for the first time since 2016. Uh, since their last meeting was during the 2020 COVID season without fans. So that should be a game to expect a lot of you guys to come out and be loud because there's there there's ever a shot that Hawaii has to beat Boise State it's at least here at home not on the Smurf turf that I still don't understand how that's even still legal having these (laughs) colored turfs at these places but that's a discussion for another day anywho Boise State does play over here so uh, before the conference season starts got Delaware State UCLA no game Sam Houston, which is the one that we tabbed, could be quite the opponent. That one is away back home against Northern Iowa. Another bye week before Hawaii goes. And this is kind of like the gauntlet of the schedule. This middle portion of the schedule, fortunately, Hawaii does have that bye week in week five after Northern Iowa. Because after that, they go on the road to San Diego State, come back home to play Boise State, on the road to go to Washington State, come back home to play Nevada, go on the road to play Fresno State, come back home to play UNLV on the road again at Utah State. And then finally, they get another bye before they close out the season at home against New Mexico. But just looking at that middle, I guess you can say the hamburger portion of the football schedule, that's already looking pretty daunting. Nonetheless, Early predictions have come in, and we gave our early predictions, as we mentioned, since Hawaii has two FCS opponents on the schedule in Delaware State and Northern Iowa. Should they win both, only one would count towards bow eligibility. So if they won both, Hawaii would need to still get to the seven wins, which has always been our target since 2017 because we would usually have 13 games, but only one win would count. So if we won those two, we still need to go for the seven and not the six like most um, teams can target that only have 12 games. But it's quite the gauntlet. But I mean, Paul, without giving away too much of your extensive write-up, you guys can go to hawaiisportsradio.com, click on the local sports tab and see because Paul gives you the breakdown of just some little tidbits about each matchup, where it falls in the season. Also, uh, the quick list of how every single team finished last season we mentioned that or not sam houston but delaware state uh didn't have the best season last year finishing at one in ten but this will be the first time both teams these teams meet but yes paul what are some things that our beautiful people and hawaii football fans can look out for in your very extensive write-up it did end up being very extensive, but that's kind of what happens when you have, what, 14 weeks, right? And I know in total it's still just 12 games, mm-hmm. but overall, a lot of really fun and interesting storylines to be found in all of these games. A couple of first-time opponents uh, making their trips to the islands, including Delaware State, uh, who is 
in a rebuilding mode, uh, year number two under their new head coach. And I noticed there are a lot of first-year head coaches or new head coaches, I should say, all throughout the Hawaii schedule. Yeah. Whether it be a, a true like first-time head coach where you have like a Deshaun Foster over at UCLA who has, uh, you know, he, he played his time in the NFL, a phenomenal running back, and now has bided his time as the RVs coach. Wow, that sounds like Arby's. The the running backs coach at UCLA for the past seven years was promoted to the associate head coach position this past season under Chip Kelly before, obviously, Kelly left for the offensive coordinator role at Ohio State very recently. So that that's an interesting one. You have some new coaches in the Mountain West who uh, aren't new first-time head coaches, some coaches who... Uh, are now getting their second, third, or fourth stints as the head men of programs. You you get to see a whole bunch of things like that in the right Boise State. And, well, and that's kind of the thing is it's not just the rebuilding teams. It's some of the teams towards the top as well. Obviously, the defending conference champions in Boise State who also got a, a pretty nice boost in the arm with their recruiting class this offseason led by a former five-star recruit transferring in from USC. Overall, uh, some fun facts in in the write-up. Like Koo said, you can check it out on hawaiisportsradio.com and, uh, you know, take in. Maybe you care about some certain games uh, more than others. You can get a feel on how last season went for them, how they've done all-time historically against the Rainbow Warriors. And then just two paragraphs, right, Koo? two paragraphs <laughs> and they're true two paragraphs okay they are. that was good and, and and i read i read through it and they were the perfect amount of meat and potatoes for <laughs> each matchup we chuckle you guys because paul is like an amazing writer and journalist where he can just go to town on the writing and uh, <laughs> like, i, have a, I have struggle stopping myself from blabbering <laughs> to you beautiful people that's it's what okay. who wants to say you're 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 the you're the og what sports illustrated used to be exactly like the, the, this <laughs> is true this is true per- Person to person. I'm not an AI bot giving you (laughs) some breakdown jargon. No, but I do want to kind of emphasize that when it comes to Boise State and just new person in charge. We could tell they struggled last season, hence why they made that change at, at the coaching helm. But then Boise State turned it around, came back, played UNLV in the Mountain West Championship game, and then ended up winning. However, their quarterback at that time that quarterbacked them to the win he transferred out it escapes me where he decided to go but Arkansas Arkansas he joined Ooh. our friend Matthew Shipley, Shipley. yep those that, those Sui. buggers those buggers and all the money that they throw at these kids actually Arkansas had a big offseason uh mm-hmm. related to Hawaii because uh oh gosh I'm not gonna try and say his last name his first name is Anton he played edge or or he was an edge rusher, defensive end for Albany last year. He was actually oh. the defensive player of the year, I believe, in the CAA. And uh, he also transferred to Arkansas. So a lot of Hawaii connections to those, to Suey. I almost, I almost called them the pigs, but, hey, you know, they're the Razorbacks. I feel like with Nick Saban gone, it's like the SEC is. It's, it's we're, open we're, all we're of start, a Yeah, we're starting off from the clean st- uh, slate now and well, seeing I guess Georgia what they're going is to- still there. Though they lost, they lost the commitment of Dylan Riola. That's this is true. See, 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 see it's, it's, it's wide open. Exactly. It's wide open. 
I know this isn't the same conference, but go Cornhuskers. <laughs> I, I also have a mention of them in that hey. big Hawaii football write-up because they play one of the one of the teams that escapes me right now bef- the week before Hawaii plays. So <laughs> the Rainbow Warriors and the Islands uh, obviously making a few different connections to some teams. Interesting, but hopefully you guys will we'll see you guys out there. Some of the other, uh, just real quick, who some of the other schools in the Mountain West open up against. Nevada and New Mexico, along with Hawaii, start off in Week 0. Nevada opens up against SMU and New Mexico, Montana State. Air Force has a, I've, I've never heard of this school before, Merrimack. <laughs> uh, Boise State opens up at Georgia Southern. Colorado State, they got a tough one. Well, there's a few with a few tough openers. Colorado State opens up at Texas. Fresno State opens up at Michigan. Talk about starting off like on fire. That would have been Hawaii if had we opened up against Oregon. But Fresno State, that's a tough one opening up at Michigan. I wonder how much they got paid for that, though, because it must have been a hefty portion to go over there. And so Michigan can essentially feel like they have a practice to open up their season. But hey. Hey, Shouts to Fresno State. Brand new uh, head coach. I was going to say, it's, it's not a guaranteed win for the yeah. national champs. They lost like a lot of players to the draft. I know they have 18 players invited to the NFL Combine that's ongoing right now. There so, we go. You know, maybe Fresno, yeah, Fresno State probably maybe has a chance. Maybe. So you're saying there's a chance. Uh, San Diego State opens up against Texas A&M Commerce. Not at, excuse me, hosting San Jose State. Also, new head coach and Kenny Niamatololo. They host Sacramento State. UNLV goes on the road to play at Houston. Utah State hosts Robert Morris. Wyoming plays at Oregon State. And I guess they're kind of like our siblings right now. Oregon State opens against Idaho State and Washington State plays Portland State. So there is the full opener for the Mountain West Conference schedule. Again, if you want to know specifically about the University of Hawaii schedule and opponents, go and check out Paul's write-up and preview at hawaiisportsradio.com. Just click on the local sports tab and scroll down a couple of slides because uh, the first thing you'll see on the local sports tab since it's more recent, are the recaps of HPU basketball versus Chaminade, which we will talk about that next when we come back on Wake Up in the Den. Please don't stop the music. Back to more Wake Up in the Den with Ku'ule Agbayani on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760. early here in Wake Up in the Den. Kule Agbayani and Paul Brecht. It feels especially early. Uh, I didn't have as late of a night, but nonetheless, our team here at Hoy Sports Radio Network were out and about last night in different parts of Manoa, of course, but uh, we'll get into where I was coming up in the next segment at the University of Hawaii women's basketball game. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the HPU Chaminade basketball games that happened last night. The women... Well, both teams for HPU, the Sharks seeking redemption and got it. The women, though, they had a close one, 70 to 67. That's like a Jesse Nakanishi and men's basketball <laughs> score if I ever seen one. That's what we're used to. <coughs> Excuse me. If you used to 
from the men's side, but celebrating three of their seniors last night. And I was listening to you guys on my my drive out to um, the women's UH women's game and like, oh, it doesn't sound like it's going too well from the Sharks. Seems like history was going to repeat itself from earlier this season. We talked about it yesterday that, you know, Chaminade only has one conference win this season and that one win coming against the Sharks earlier in the the season, the conference season. But nonetheless, Sharks get it. They work hard and they bring it back in the Shark Tank in front of, it sounded like a party there in the Shark Tank last night. So 70-67 over the Chaminade Silver Swords. But uh, Paul, just what are some of your quick takeaways from the women's game? It was super fun to see all of the other sporting programs there to support not just the men, but also the women. They got there nice and early game more so filled up towards about halftime and good for them because that's kind of when things flipped for the Sharks. They go down by 14 in that second quarter. And like you said, it looks like history was going to repeat itself back on January 18th. A 40-game winning streak against the Silver Swords comes to an end, and it looked like Chaminade was going to try and start their own winning streak. And uh, all of a sudden, things started to flip. The insertion of Kalina Obrey really kind of kick-started things for the Sharks. It'll be like Kyle, Kamehameha, right? <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she was truly, truly outstanding. And then Ella Burge was the standout star of the day for the Sharks on Senior Day, one of two seniors who ended up playing, three who were honored on the day, Ashley Nunez and Kiona Loftus, the other two who were honored in a pregame ceremony. But Burge, Started the game off hot and then came out at halftime just absolutely blazing. Three three-pointers, had a, her own 11-0 run to really kickstart things for the Sharks. And in all, a 20-point turnaround as HPU ends up winning by, or well, winning by three, but going up by six in just eight minutes of game action from the end of the first half into the start of the third quarter. And from there, uh, a battle and a fight for sure, but... At the end of the day, senior day ends up a pretty good party for the women. <laughs> I like that. Party. It's Friday. That's why we're already thinking of the, the Friday party. To at, the weekend. At the less or at the Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center with men's volleyball. But anyways, back to HPU and women women getting that much wanted win. We, we talked about it this week that for neither team came close to getting a spot in the postseason, but... This game and this the H1 series is always circled in their calendar because if there's any game that you want to win. And I remember when I played soccer at Chaminade and we weren't that great either, but <laughs> it was always HPU like, hey, we need to try to at least beat HPU and our lone win that we got. <laughs> yes, that's how bad. Uh, to be fair, like I was part of the original first time ever Shamanad's women's soccer program. So we lost pretty much every single game. And then we had you one. You were building a foundation. We, yes. Now they, they are competitive, a lot more competitive. But um, we, our lone win that we ever got while I was there for a few years was against HPU. And until this day, that's, and that's all that matters, right? Like weight. you're like, hey, this is what happens. Plus HPU had had their soccer program for a little bit already up until that point. So it still felt good. Anyways, uh, going over to the men's side, 
as we expected, it was going to be a battle just because, you know, Chaminade didn't uh, have the season that we kind of expected them to have. We knew that they were going to come out and wanting to beat the Sharks, but the Sharks the men's side redeeming themselves from that earlier loss in the conference season coming up on top over Chaminade 77-72 last night but before we kind of Paul gives some insights as to that game and looks ahead to the conference well first they got to play University of Hawaii Hilo to close out the season on the road and then looking ahead to next week's PacWest conference tournament here is what head coach Jesse Nakanishi had to say following the win. All right, Coach Nakanishi, how does it uh, feel and what does it mean to get uh, a win on your first senior night at HBU? Uh, yeah, you know, we had a good moment in the, before the game with Reese. Got a little video for him, so that was inspiring for the other guys. Um, but once we put that away and it was just all about the ball game, we came out of the gate slow. Uh, not the first half defensive performance that we're used to. We're one of the better defensive teams and we, 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 didn't, we gave up 40 in the first half. So... Um, a little slow, but uh, we, at least we scored some in the first half, and then we're a lot better moving the ball in the second half offensively. So it felt good to get the win, but uh, not our best performance. But, you know, that's a tough team. They got they got playmakers, and they got shot makers. And, you know, they, you know against Matt, they had some guys spread Matt out there and knock some threes down, so it posed a, a problem for us. Uh, Matt got rolling a little bit inside down the stretch. I guess what what felt like the defining factor for you guys late in the game tonight? Uh, yeah, just we were really trying to get the ball, making them guard more than one ball screen, more than one action, and that's where we teams often lose guys like Matt in the shuffle a little bit, and so we got we were able to get some of those lobs to him in those sequences. And Zero came out pretty big with some of his posts and 18-11 uh, with two assists. Um, you know, he, when he plays at that level, and he's been doing that, and that's he's a big key why we've had some success this year, is because he's been, uh, you know, not only scoring but he's going strong and he's finding people and he's rebounding the ball. What does that meant to you guys that, you know, year one and you're uh, right now top three seed uh, for Pac West tournament? And... Yeah, we got to go get one more win, I believe. Oh, no, I think actually with the results tonight, we, we may have secured three, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm very happy and proud of our guys and yeah, year one and yeah, not just year one, but we've had some program growing with Coach V and, you know, we'll take over obviously, but yeah, just really getting the culture back to to that level, it does mean a lot that we can get in the conference tournament and not just squeeze in there and handedly be in there and fight for a championship right to the end. We fell a little short winning a regular season championship, but we, we got a good chance as anybody to go win it in the tournament. Uh, what was different uh, this game than compared to the last time you guys played Shaman at their place? Uh, good question. I, I think we were really pressing, not not pressed, but pressing for early shots. And he, that was some of that was happening in the first half, too. And we fixed that in the second half and towards the end of the first half. But uh, I think we were got caught up in the moment a little bit too much in the, in the first game with this rivalry and a good crowd there. And uh, credit them. They played well the first game. They beat us the first game. So. That was HPU men's basketball head coach Jesse Nakanishi, along with Michael Escaro and Brian McInnes there, catching up with him post game 
following their win over Chaminade last night, 77-72, as I mentioned with the women's game. That's a typical, you know, HPU men's basketball score. Definitely like five points or less is, seems to be the trend. It's all season. We joked about it in the beginning of the season, and it just ha- always happens that way. But for the Silver Swords, Wyatt Lowell, I remember saying his name a lot when we were calling the Maui Invitational last year. He led the Sharks, or Sharks, excuse me, the Swords in scoring with 18. Ross Reeves, another one of their key players, uh, second with 15. And then when you look at the HPU side, though, you had Maidu Sanich. What a game. 18 points. And I, our text thread while I'm trying to keep up with uh, Paul and Michael last night, and apparently there's some Matthew Van Komen plays or alley-oops and was, dunks and then yes. not jumping when he's shooting and like I'm like I was trying to read it while I'm trying to pay attention to also the women's uh basketball game I'm like what's going on here with the HPU shark it was just it was it was an entertaining text thread to say the least so I can only imagine how exciting the game itself was it was a super fun game always is in the shark tank and always is for Jesse Nakanishi's squad obviously they end the year with I think it's an 11 and 3 record inside the the tank and I, I mean when you talk about protecting your home court that's exactly what they've done this year and doing it with like like we kind of joke about that late game execution and yesterday it was the two calling cards of this Sharks team defense and paint dominance some real real big players whether it's Charlie Weber, Mai Dusenich, Matthew Van Komen our our favorite and a, a f- fan favorite in Tucker Felici <laughs> who gave a nice address to the crowd uh, I believe after the game and perhaps even before the game yesterday uh, overall just a really dominant second half 40 to 24 the Sharks dominate in paint points and you're right Van Komen uh, catching a couple of lobs that kind of flipped the momentum back in the Sharks favor in that second half and my Ducenich He's taken a turn this second half of the conference season when it comes to scoring the ball. Shows off some really impressive footwork and his touch around the rim with both his left, his strong left hand and his weak right hand uh, has been very, very impressive this season. He's a real key to how far HPU can go in next week's PacWest Conference Tournament because there's a lot of talent and a lot of different scoring options for these Sharks just matters how many can get going at the same time against these top level teams. Yeah, and we'll see how they shake up. But again, first they got to play University of Hawaii Hilo. So I know Jesse had mentioned it in that post game. Is that have you been had a chance to confirm that they the third seed is for sure what they will have, no matter if they win or lose to at UH Hilo? Yes, I believe after last night's results, as Biola fell last night, Biola was the team just a game behind HPU entering last night. Instead, Biola win or Biola loses to I believe it was Art U. Maybe it wasn't, but you know, whatever. Biola did end up losing. They drop a full game below the Sharks, uh, or a game and a half below the Sharks. And then with the win, they clinch themselves no matter the result against Hilo on Saturday. The Sharks will be your three seed in the Pac West tournament. First and second, I think, is still up in the air, both Art U and Point Loma with one game remaining, and one game splits those two, but even with one more win for the Sharks, it would tie them for second, but since both Loma 
and RU swept HPU this season, they would mm-hmm. hold the tiebreaker entering the PacWest tournament. So as it stands right now, you have RU at the top, and I'm, I guess they have to wait for one more result because it says that they clinched at least a share of the PacWest regular season title with the little percentage symbol yep. next to them. Point Loma at two, Hawaii Pacific at three, Hawaii Hilo right behind HPU and then Biola and rounding out the six is Azusa Pacific. So if we look at the bracket, it would be the first game up in the quarterfinals would be the six seed against the three seed. So potentially if things were to end today, round three, yeah, HPU and Azusa Pacific would open up against each other. And then it would be University of Hawaii Hilo and Biola. Both games would be pretty intense. And should HPU win the quarterfinal match, then they would move on to play Point Loma as it stands right now and on the opposite side you know when University of Hawaii Hilo wins they go on to play RU and then we'll have upsets happen and then it'll be Hawaii Pacific and UH Hilo in the championship game let's go well upsets only by the standard of the seeds not by anything else you know you know how we we roll here Hawaii over everybody yeah and this is kind of the exact um, I guess the exact order we would want it to be, mainly to have HPU and University of Hawaii Hilo in opposite sides of the quarterfinal bracket so that they won. There wasn't a chance that for sure one team would get knocked out because the last time HPU was in the uh, tournament and when they won the championship, that 2016-2017 season, they had opened up against Chaminade. <laughs> so hopefully that doesn't repeat itself and they will be in opposite sides in the quarterfinals because I'm assuming we still, I'm assuming the last week's game still matters somewhat in the rest of the shakeup, but we'll see how it goes. Well, we'll keep you guys updated and definitely give you that on Monday. Unless got to step aside way up against the break. So we'll be back to talk UH basketball on Wake Up in the, Wake Up in the Den. Woo! Wake Up in the Den with Kuwale Agbayani on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760. Welcome back to all of you, the beautifulest of all the beautiful people. It's Wake Up in the Den. Alongside Paul Brecht, I'm Kuwale Agbayani. I hope everyone's having a fabulous Aloha Friday morning so far. Man, a lot of stuff that happened yesterday. We were just talking about Hawaii Pacific University and Chaminade basketball. So if you guys want to get some of the photos from last night and the full recap of both the men's and women's games, be sure to go to hawaiisportsradio.com and once again, click on the local sports tab where you can get a bunch of write-ups, stories, and everything. Shout out to our guys over here, Paul Brecht and Michael Lescarol doing those darn things. I love it so much. Try our best for you beautiful people, <laughs> bringing all the sports that we possibly can. And thankfully, since Michael has joined our team, it's kind of allowed us to expand our coverage because last night we could be two places at <laughs> yeah. once, Go, Yeah, we could be two places at once. And oh my gosh, what a what a fun night. So it was. We'll get to the UH women's game in just a second, but I want to have some quick little thoughts about the men's game. Uh, the Rainbow Warriors falling at UC Davis 75-63. Definitely a... I didn't get to watch the full game because, again, I'm getting ready and then had to go to the Simplify Arena at San Sheriff Center. Uh, 
But it was a brutal game to start off with. I, I think it was like seven turnovers for UH in like the first five minutes or something. They had like three in the first two minutes. It was just brutal way to start. And when you're playing a team like UC Davis, even though Hawaii had won in their first matchup this season, you go up against someone like an Elijah Pepper who can score the basketball. He put up 30 a 30 burger on UH, not just Elijah Pepper, but Ty Johnson also put up a 30 burger on UH yesterday. And they pretty much they handled majority of the scoring. Everybody else on the team in single digits for UC Davis. But those turnovers really came at the problem. Surprisingly, Hawaii in the first half, if Hawaii were not hitting their threes in the first half, they and it was just four, but nonetheless, four for 10 from the three-point line Hawaii was in the first half. I mean, that's what kept the first half close. Uh, They were only trailing UC Davis 38-32 in that first period. Second half, relatively close as well. Uh, UC Davis only outscoring UH 37-31, but able to come out on top and just like we talk about it, I mean, Hawaii beat this team. They're a good team, and they just couldn't take care of the basketball. Like, that's <laughs> Coach Ku's main things. Take care of the basketball. Make your free throws. <laughs> it's it's, it's simple seemed, it, it seems simple, but... And, and it's one of those, like, I think the part that bothered me the most about some of these turnovers, or majority of the turnovers, end of the game with 16 total turnovers, and Davis scoring 22 points off of those turnovers, is just bad passes, no awareness, you know, just took a while for them to really get in the groove. And again, not every time your outside shots are going to fall. So had they not been able to keep themselves in the game because of their three-point shooting, I mean, this could have gotten a lot uglier. They were at least in it for most of the game, but got to take care of the basketball, especially, like I said, if you're going to allow players like Elijah Pepper to have the basketball or to have that many more chances, it's not going to end well for you. So need to clean that up to at least give yourself a chance in these games. Yeah, I mean, it's something that Coach Gannat has talked about before. He even mentioned it despite the, the win over Long Beach. Uh, he talked about a turnover in the backcourt when Hawaii was up by 15 turnover in the backcourt goes for you know they call it a pick six right where it goes for a dunk on the other end and it kind of sparks the beach and you can't give these good teams those extra possessions extra opportunities and when you do it really comes back to bite you you see that especially on the road on a senior night against one of the conference's top teams it's a recipe for disaster and Credit to the Bows for sticking in it and obviously their long-range shooting helping them out in the first half, especially with that. But it's tough when only one guy gets into double digits. We talk a lot about depth when it comes to these Hawaii teams and more so with the Rainbow Wahine. But even this men's team has shown some depth, especially lately in the scoring department. Justin McCoy consistently leading the way when... You always have Bernardo Da Silva, who had a phenomenal game last night, also in double digits consistently. He had 20 last night. And then Noel Coleman is typically in double digits as well. So those three guys normally leading the way last night. McCoy, only nine points, two of five shooting. You'd like to see him take a few more shots, though he did take four free throws as well. So a couple of shot attempts probably and not going on the ledger 
but also only eight points for Noel Coleman, also three of five. It's just one of those things where you'd like to see your top scorers be a little bit more aggressive on a night that you clearly need a little bit more. Yeah, and it is odd to see majority of the top scorers. Yeah, Bernardo Da Silva, the only one of the Rainbow Warriors to finish in double digits with 20 points, and everybody else still kept in the single digits. Now, UC Davis, of course, a solid team. Don't want to take any credit, credit away from them. But I think that's the biggest nugget is just you got to take care of the basketball because pretty much every single team, just like UH, but every team in this conference that will likely be in the tournament, they have like that, at least that one solid player that is going to be a for sure scorer. So you need to limit the amount of times that scorer gets a chance. As we mentioned, Elijah Pepper with Luckily, we don't have to see him next year, but he's he's graduating. So goodbye. (laughs) But then again, you have someone like Ty Johnson. Yeah. Sayonara. Don't come back. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Thank you very much. Uh, But I mean, one of the biggest things on the box score that stood out to me in this game is that there's a little portion that says biggest lead. It's zero, which is basically no lead. It was the start of. It's a wire-to-wire wire win for yeah. UC Davis. Essentially, Hawaii never had the lead ever in the game, which we're not used to seeing because even against the best teams, Hawaii at least is able to scrape and claw their way back and somehow find, even if it's just like for a few seconds, they're able to go ahead at least by one or two points before things switch. But that was something that kind of hurts the heart a little bit to see that there was no lead. All right, going to take a step aside When we come back, we'll talk about the University of Hawaii women's basketball, the win in overtime on Wake Up in the Den. Back to more Wake Up in the Den with Ku'ule Agbayani on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760. Friday day. <laughs> right. The party's here in Kalihi. You guys should know that little ad lib that we do here by now. Oh, wake up in the den. Kule Agbayani and Paul Brecht recapping some of the exciting games that happened yesterday. Going over to the women's side for the University of Hawaii. My goodness, my goodness. Winning in overtime over UC Davis, a very quality team, but Hawaii coming out on top 63-57. And I must say, we did see the return of Brooklyn Roars. However, as we know, a player coming out of coming back from injury for as long as she was, it's gonna take some time to get back and readjusted to things, not only stamina-wise, but just you know, the speed of the play, and I'm not sure how many practice days she got in uh, until starting last night. Only played just under seven minutes. Uh, however, Hawaii was not with, or they were without the services, excuse me, of Imani Perez. We mentioned that she got a little bit banged up in their game on the road. But fortunately, she's not in a boot or anything. So that's a good sign. I joked about it yesterday, and we heard Coach Beeman say it in the media scrum uh, that Brooklyn 
and Imani are alive. So that's they are both alive. So we will not know what exactly is going on with Imani oh, until I'm terrified. She didn't say she was still part of the team. That's you know, true. She's scary. alive, but I don't know was if she's she part of the team. Was she on the bench last night? She was on the bench All last right. night. Oof. So that's Oof. the main thing. And still <laughs> not in a walking boot or anything. So we'll see. And Coach B even said it. If she's not going to go and play anybody or put anyone out there if they're not 100% ready to go. Especially right now when you're... You want to maintain, obviously, the top seed in the conference and win the season, you know, but at the same time, the end game is still to win the tournament. So if they do have to sacrifice potentially not ha- finishing at number one or grinding out these games with the players they do have, that's fair. Like, you don't want to throw Imani out there. You got to save her for the tournament. Even at Brooklyn, you don't want to keep putting her out there as she kind of gets readjusted to everything. And UC Davis was a solid team. I was telling Paul before we hopped on air because I'm standing courtside and I'm like, my goodness, I, I forgot how much size this UC Davis team had. And when you don't have a solid, like, height presence down low, like a Brooklyn. Again, only played just under seven minutes and no Imani Perez. UC Davis, like, clearly had the height advantage against the Rainbow Wahine, but mm, that's no problem for us. They're a feisty bunch. You know, Lily Wahine Kapu doing her thing, especially in overtime. And even Deja Phillips, if you guys were watching that game, shooting up like a craziest three again shot clock awareness Deja Phillips from from the outside just throwing up a shot that went in essentially being the dagger for Hawaii to win in overtime but all around just amazing guard play from the Rainbow Wahine Lily Wahine Kapu finishing with uh well leading all scoring with 18 points and it was it was phenomenal it was it was impressive to see and impressive but of course not surprising oh wait I think I remember coach B saying that before huh because I think someone asked she's rubbing off yeah I think someone had asked her in one of the media scrums like are you surprised yeah she's like she's like I'm always impressed never surprised so I guess that's kind of like how I was too watching that game last night like I was impressed but at the same time it wasn't surprising because we should already expect from what we saw seen with this team before again such a veteran group they fight they claw they all the way back again they didn't have the best start either uh to start off this game just the shots weren't falling and a little change up in the rotation without having imani there but they do what they do best and they just win baby they set a precedent every single year it seems like where no matter what they're going to be in every game they're going to be fighting for the top of the conference and Something I really do appreciate, pardon me, appreciate about Laura Beeman is exactly what she said and the fact and what she said earlier this week and that she's never going to put a kid's health at risk no matter what for a win. And that's something that not a lot of coaches can say, especially in the regular season. And, you know, you see a lot of coaches kind of ride their star players to a grinding halt. And a lot of times it's why you see a poor postseason or you know them flame out towards the end of the year and you just take a look at the box score from last night where you have two players for Davis playing over 40 minutes in that one and that means they played all of regulation and most of overtime five minute overtime period 40 minutes in total for regulation and then you just look across the way the highest total of the night, Lily Wahine Kapu with 39 minutes, but nobody eclipsing that 40-minute mark. 
Wahine Kapu getting that much time simply because she was scorching hot from the floor <laughs> for most of the night and a, a key component to the Rainbow Wahine offense. And then you always obviously have Deja Phillips, 10.7 rebounds. Jackie David stepping up in a big way for uh, a, a team, like you mentioned, missing their normal frontline rotation of per, Perez and Brewers. Jackie got a little feisty at one play. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I mean, she got a little chippy even. Uh, I thought she was going to get a tech because the one of the officials was not having it. <laughs> but it, it was it was one of those games. But yes, Jackie David proving, and she's still technically not too far off from coming back from injury as well. So should things go well for the Rainbow Wahine, as we've heard Coach B talk about, I mean, you want everyone healthy and playing their best basketball come the tournament. So that's enough. To, I'm getting chicken skin because, like we said, I mean, if we have a Rainbow Wahine team that is not at full strength and they're able to grind out this win against a quality Davis team, a Davis team that beat them just two weeks yeah, ago. It's exactly what we've been saying, that on paper, full strength, there's no team in this conference that can beat the Rainbow Wahine. Like, it's just hands down. There's just that good when everyone's healthy. And even if we're talking about a Brooklyn who maybe isn't up to speed, but she's healthy, but maybe not completely acclimated back into game mode by the time the tournament comes, that doesn't matter, but if you're Imani's healthy, Jackie David's like doing even better. I mean, that front court is just so solid, and then well, the back court we're just used to, to them doing what they do. Yeah, you have optionality in the front court between three really different players in Perez, Ruers, and David, and then obviously, like you said, uh, two phenomenal guards in Wahine Kapu and Phillips who can go get a bucket at any time. And that's not even mentioning all the depth. Our, one of our personal favorites here at HSRN and Kelsey Imai, who has been really, really awesome this season. Olivia Davies, who um, will be celebrated tomorrow night. Hope to see you beautiful people there. Alongside Ashley Toms, another one of these Rainbow Wahine guard, or guards who can really knock it down from deep. Like The lists go on and on and on for the talent that Laura Beeman has to throw out on the floor on any given night for UH, and it's why they've set themselves up in prime position to potentially go for a three-peat now that we've entered March. Woo! So we hope to see you guys there sending off the Rainbow Wahine in style. Make sure you pack the Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center tomorrow night, celebrating, as Paul just mentioned, Olivia Davies and Ashley Toms. And that's the craziest thing. This has got a solid bunch of players returning next year. Got the majority focus on, of the core. Got to focus on this year, but we hope to see you guys out there. Maybe break the record that was just set for Beeman's Big Bash. Yeah, it's gonna, do it. You won't. It's going to be a party. Last night, I was sporting my Olivia Davies t-shirt, of course, and then tomorrow we'll be sporting, a bunch of us will be sporting the Ashley Toms t-shirt in the house. So we hope to see you guys there. Again, the tickets are super cheap. Just seven bucks for a regular adult ticket. Kids for all the way up through high school are free. So fun Saturday night for the family. Hope to see you guys out there. I know there's also baseball going on. So you're excused if you're a baseball fan and choose to go to baseball instead as they will host Holy Cross, which should be a very competitive series as well. Tonight you have University of Hawaii men's. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of something. Men's volleyball, just because um, I was talking to Eric Matthews and he's like, it's a holy weekend because oh my men's goodness. volleyball plays Sacred Heart tonight. That's so, so funny. <laughs> so as I was talking about men's volleyball, I 
popped into my head what Eric said last night. I was like, yeah, you're right. It is. You got Holy Cross and Sacred Heart in town. And then, yes, tomorrow we'll be at Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center. Want to make sure we give a little mention, though, to the University of Hawaii softball team getting a win to open up the Spring Fling Tournament yesterday, beating Tennessee State 4-1. to They play Portland State tonight and LMU tonight. So doubleheader action for UH softball. And speaking of UH softball, I want to make sure, okay, we have enough time. I got to make sure we mention this because... They're starting to announce the this year's class of the UH Sports Circle of Honor. And one of the Circle of Honor members is that 2010 Women's College World Series team, still the only team in program history to make it to the Women's College World Series. And a lot of people remember the nice little win over Alabama. Shout out Jenna Rodriguez. She was actually one of our interns at my previous employer's place in we would always be like, yeah, let's go, J-Rod, because she hit that home run and she did the whole, uh, like, get out, get out. Although we won't talk about those broadcasters. They were very heavily biased towards Alabama and didn't even yeah, give well. us a shot. But they'll be that team will be inducted into the UH Sports Circle of Honor this year. And also the winningest head coach uh, in UH football history, June Jones. Those, those were made announced yesterday. Lots of fun times, but oh, man. We got to go. Still have a packed weekend. Don't forget, tune in to HPU Baseball tomorrow morning at 11 and then HPU Softball on Sunday. But got to go. So for Paul Brecht, I'm Kule Agbayani. Have a great weekend. Bye.